0: Destruction directive. 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 Hello and welcome, everyone, to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, Mr. Luke Jackanetty. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the episode today, and I hope everyone enjoyed our last episode, which was episode fifty, where we took a look at the classic, classic giant monster movie Rodan. Between the introduction of everybody's favorite flying monster. And uh, I hope everyone doesn't mind a little bit of a hiatus. You know what they say when a podcaster says um, he's going to post more. You probably shouldn't um, take it much at face value. I had intended to get this episode out in November, but then reality happened, as it often does. So, hey, we're here now. Uh, that's the important thing. We've got a good episode for you today. We're going to be taking a look at Godzilla Cataclysm, the IDW miniseries from 2014, as well as the next issue of Marvel Comics Godzilla, uh, which is issue number 7, featuring the uh, debut, the full debut of Red Ronin. Uh, Before we get into that, a little bit of news. Uh, Up first, some Ultraman news and some big news for Ultraman fans here in the States. As an Ultraman double feature is coming to U.S. theaters. Ultraman X the movie and Ultraman Ginga S the movie are coming to a limited engagement. Here in the United States with a new dub provided by William Winkler Productions. You may recognize that name as uh, the crew who did the dubs for the Guy King and Dan Gardez movies. As well as many other uh, recent anime localizations. Uh, the shows will be on select dates in January, but only in certain cities and certain chains. Uh, I'll provide a link uh, in the show notes to a site that lists all of the, uh, the cities and engagements. Unfortunately, this is not playing anywhere near me. I will not be able to attend, but I am very much looking forward and hoping for DVD releases of these in the future, because uh, a lot of the other uh, William Winkler Productions dubs have been released on DVD. so I'm hoping that's the case here. but Very exciting to see uh, uh, the two latest Ultraman movies, even as we're getting news now about the Ultraman Orb movie being in production, uh, to get these, even in limited form, here a release in the United States. And also speaking of theatrical releases... Of course, we had the uh, very successful run of Shin Godzilla here in the United States, and uh, just wanted to make a note that Shin Godzilla ended its run here in the United States at $1.9 million dollars uh, just from the select screenings here in the U.S., so very cool. Uh, you know, not, not a huge amount of money, but considering uh, it's the first Godzilla film, since Godzilla 2000, from Japan to have a, any type of wide release here in the United States, it's a, a good showing as far as I'm concerned. I really enjoyed the film, no news as of yet for U.S. DVD or Blu-ray releases, but once I hear something, I will pass it along to you. So, uh, not much news here the, this time out. We've uh, got some, uh, some you know, little tidbits starting to float in about Pacific Rim Two. About uh, you know, Kong Skull Island is starting to hype up. New trailer for that just dropped not too long ago. Uh, but uh, we're gonna keep it short today. Get right to the point. So I'm gonna take a quick break, and we will be right back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Hurt and can't work? Call the law offices at Turner, Conroy, and Finkelstein, 555 double lot. In a wreck and need a check? Call the law offices at Turner, Conroy, and Finkelstein, 555 double lot. Practicing medicine without a license? Call the law offices at Turner, Conroy, and Finkelstein, 555 0 lot. I was going through a really messy divorce. I just came home one day and everything was gone. Even the ice cube trays out of the freezer. What kind of sick bitch takes the ice cube trays out of the freezer? Turner, Conroy, and Finkelstein got me my stuff back. And all it cost me was alimony, child support, retainer fees, expenses, and paying off that guy we saw down at the Pump and Gulp. Thanks, Turner, Conroy, and Finkelstein. For all your legal and illegal needs, call the law offices at Turner, Conroy, and Finkelstein, 555 Not licensed to practice law in any state or the district of Columbia. Turner, Conroy and is a wholly owned subsidiary of Biscuit Baskin and Brands Incorporated. The Fantastic Arse is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot. The 1970s. Join us as we take a look at. The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Cree Scroll War. The arrival of Marvel Team Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2 in 1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Fantastic cast! Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Okay, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Godzilla Cataclysm was published by IDW Publishing as a five-issue miniseries. The first issue was released on August 13th, 2014. Uh, the s- series was written by Cullen Bunn. The art was by Dave Wachter. The letters were by Chris Mallory, and the editor is Bobby Kurnow. Twenty years ago, a great monster war erupted all over the earth. Kaiju by the dozens appeared, and in their wake, the world that was vanished. And so did the monsters, leaving just as abruptly as they had arrived. Now humanity eats out an existence among the ruins, including Hiroshi, his grandson Arata, and Arata's young friend Shiori, who live in the remains of Tokyo. The kaiju are now akin to the titans and gods of myth. On a routine scouting mission, Arata, Shiori, and the other scouts notice a strange increase in plant life when they are suddenly attacked by a swarm of mega-neuron. The bugs attack rouses the source of the plant life, the monster Biolanti. Arata and Shiori flee from the countless tendrils of the monster, only to witness a blinding flash of light and see the return of Godzilla, the kaiju, have reemerged. Fleeing the battle, Shiori notices Godzilla's atomic flame burning away Biolanti's vines. But the thought is interrupted by the appearance of Mothra's sparkling dust heals Biolanti, but she is soon driven off by Godzilla and the two titans continue their clash. Back in the settlement, the villagers begin to be scared by the thunderous sounds and the quaking of the earth, fearing the kaiju's return, with some of the elders demanding a blood sacrifice. Hiroshi listens to Arata and Shiori's story, telling them that the kaiju are animals, not gods. That night, he sleeps uneasily, remembering the cataclysm and seeing himself and others connected to a strange machine as Hiroshi wonders why Godzilla is still so angry. Having destroyed the world which wronged him, we see that Shiori has taken a cutting from Biolanti, which blooms even without soil. The next day, the Council of Elders has decided to make a sacrifice, but Hiroshi speaks up, saying that Godzilla does not want to destroy them, only to ensure that the world never prospers again, which is why he attacked and killed Biolanti. But Shiori tells him about the cutting, which Hiroshi fears will bring Godzilla to the settlement. He bemoans that man cannot subjugate the kaiju, and that they were foolish to ever try. As he remembers before the cataclysm, as he and a team sit around a strange machine, wired in via helmets, seemingly trying to control Godzilla, but only succeeding in enraging him. Back at her tent, Shiori's simple cutting has grown to a massive tangle of vines, which begins to cry out as it did in Tokyo. Soon the sky is darkened by Megajirus and the Meganeuron swarm feasting on the vines and soon turning on the villagers. Only the timely arrival of Mothra stops the rampage, but it is too late as Godzilla appears on the outskirts of the settlement. Hiroshi knows that Biolanti is the key to the world's future and vows to protect what is left. Hiroshi confesses to Arata and Shiori his part in the mind control plan which helped bring about the cataclysm. A team of psychics were put together, their abilities combined and amplified. But after initial success in making the kaiju docile, they pushed too hard, releasing the pent-up, animalistic fury of all the kaiju on the world. Arata explodes with anger, storming off, and Hiroshi and Shiori follow. But as Hiroshi continues to blame himself, he clutches his chest and collapses to his knees weakly, saying that his own demon has arrived, and from the harbor rises Destoroya. Arata runs ahead to warn the villagers, but it is too late, as Destoroyah breaks, up, breaks in part into crab form, hunting down fleeing villagers with micro-oxygen bursts. Hiroshi, still weak, tells Arata and Shiori that all he can do now is pray. As he had prayed to Godzilla for years to stay away, he now prays for Godzilla to forgive mankind for their arrogance, and that they will take better care of the world. Hiroshi's prayers are interrupted by a Destoroyah crab, which stabs him through the chest. But, Godzilla arrives. Whether he heard the prayer, or simply sought out a new challenger, who can say? But the two monsters clash, rocking the countryside as they do. Mothra arrives and helps Godzilla, as Hiroshi tells the children to take Biollante and go as far away as they can. Mothra soon soon falls to a micro-oxygen blast, but Godzilla then unloads his atomic beam into the back of Destoroyah's head, knocking him down. While down, vines sneak out of the earth and grab him, holding Destroya in place as Godzilla incinerates him with a red spiral beam. Biollante helped Godzilla, and Godzilla did not interfere. As Godzilla leaves, and Hiroshi takes his last breaths, he muses on the nature of gods and the plight of men. Perhaps Godzilla simply had grown tired of the fighting. Maybe he knew that no matter the cataclysm, life will always win out, and that a rebirth will always come. Um, this is, uh, it's a pretty good series. It's, it's a worthy miniseries in IDW's library of Godzilla comics, but unfortunately it's not one of the top shelf ones like uh, half century war, which we previously covered here. Um, you know, that's kind of the way it goes with these IDW books is that all of them are generally good. All the miniseries are generally good, but some of them are clearly better than others. Uh, I kind of ran into the same sort of situation with, uh, Gangsters and Callias, which was excellent. And then that was followed up with Godzilla Legends, which, which was good, but not quite as good. It was enjoyable, but it was ultimately kind of forgettable. And that's kind of where this one is. Like I said, it's, it's a very enjoyable. It's a fun read. Um, it doesn't take a whole lot of time, uh, to read the individual, um, issues. I mean, I read, uh, I read all five of this excuse me, all five issues of this and kind of in one sitting and it went, you know, didn't take me all that long to read it. I mean, there's, they're definitely modern comics. They're, they're decompressed and they are still telling one big story, but, um, but Bun's plot is, is good. It does ask questions about the, the nature of monsters and the idea of the monster God. But unfortunately there's just so much plot and you saw from my very kind of dense summary, there's a lot of story going on here. A lot of just things happening, a lot of events. So the, there's not enough time, really enough time given to really flesh out these ideas. It's more like a springboard for the reader. It's more something to provide uh, food for thought for the reader after they finish reading it, which, you know, I I think there's, there's something to be said for that too. We don't need ruminations on the nature of all this stuff necessarily in the book, but it, to me it's a little disappointing that it's not as expanded and uh, delve into as much as it really could be. Uh, Wachter's art, however, is universally good. It's, he's got a slightly kind of stylized take on both the humans and the kaiju, but it's not, not one of these really kind of outlandish sort of stylized takes. It, it's very pleasing. I think he does a very good job in not only differentiating all the characters, which is a little tough because it's kind of a post-apocalyptic thing, so everybody's kind of wearing... You know, rags and scraps and all that. But he does a really good job making all the characters unique. And I think he does an excellent job with the monsters. Megajerus and the Mega Neurons look great. And it, he does a good job of selling the threat of the Mega Neuron on a small scale. Uh Ironically, as we just covered in Rodan last time, you know, the idea of the Mega Neuron are a threat to individual humans, not to whole cities like the the Daikaiju are. But he does a good job with the Daikaiju also. His Destroya also looks really good um, you know, kind of edgy and, uh, nasty and <clears throat> really just, uh, alien, even though obviously Destoroyah's got, you know, a terrestrial origin. I think you know what I mean when I say he looks alien. So he does a very good job with that. His Godzilla is, um, you know, like all the IDW Godzilla's based on the, uh, Millennium style with the, the large spines on his back and the ridges up his, uh, on the sides of his neck. And he does have a bit of the scar like we see in, uh, the, the sec in uh, Tokyo SOS on on his chest, but ultimately, like I said the art is really good, and and that I I really can't fault it. In fact, again, always had really good art. They they seem to find good matches with the the artists, so uh, that was um that 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 did not disappoint. The setting and the the ruins also were really good because they were just random ruin put into their design, and it made sense as as it used to be this type of building and not just you know rubble. So I thought that was good. And, and the settlement also, the settlement I thought was a nicely designed area because it, it looked like a functional sort of city. So, um, um, I'm, I'm not going to get into detailed notes because I don't know that the series really needs it because it really, and I said it, it's a quick read. It's better off read as a trade paperback, I'd say than individual issues. Um, it's, it's a good series. It's worth picking up, but as I said, it's not one of the air quotes up to the microphone essential Modern Godzilla comic stories. So my recommendation can only go so far. I mean, if you find this in the cheap bins, definitely pick it up, read it, and enjoy it. But the chances are that it's not going to make as deep an impression with you as some of the other, um, the other Godzilla comics that have come out of IDW. And that's, and again, that's not, that's not taking away from this book because I do enjoy this one quite a lot. And like I said, it's very thought provoking, but I think, um, it's almost like, uh, they either needed less space or more space. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. I think with less space, they could have condensed down some of the story a little bit, and it wouldn't have been, um, you know, and then this happens, and then this happens. But if they had had more space, maybe expand this out to eight issues, and then I think you would have had more opportunity to get into Hiroshi's backstory more, to learn more about the pre-cataclysmic world, to learn, um, you know, more, more about the character's thoughts and feelings, and get more in depth in the idea of, you know, uh, you know, kind of the the dichotomy between kaiju as animals and kaiju as gods so like i said i i think it's it's hurt a little bit by the format even though i do overall enjoy the story and and thought it was good and and i think it's worth picking up now you can get the trade paperback from this uh off amazon.com for 16.99 or 9.99 on the kindle um frankly i mean i wouldn't pay more than 10 bucks for it to be honest with you you can probably find this in a cheaper bin at a con um, and, and not have to worry about that, or keep an eye on it. Maybe you can find it on sale. I mean, like I said, it's I like it, but eh, ultimately, I'm going to put it away, and I'm not going to think about it much once I'm done, which is, you know, unfortunately, that's a very common thing, not just with Godzilla, but with a lot of modern comics, is that I find that superhero comics or otherwise, is that I read them, and I enjoy them while I'm reading them, and then I put them away, and I never think about them again. And then... You know, I'll, I'll get drawn into a conversation or something and it'll say, Oh, well, such and such in, in that book. I'm like, and vaguely, I'm like, Oh, I kind of remember that. It's like, I don't really remember the details. And part of that is me. I, I've, I've, I'm, I've trouble sometimes with details and, in, in comics that I've read, unless I've read them several times. But, you know, it, it's just that kind of, it's good, but okay. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really stick with me as com you know, which compares negatively to, um, again, to use the same example as before, Half Century War, uh, by James Stokoe. Or even, uh, another book by Stoko, which was Godzilla in Hell, which was a very different series, but because it was so different and eschewed uh, dialogue and stuff like that and was very memorable. Whereas I, I, Cataclysm, I thought was a really good series and liked it, but just didn't, didn't, doesn't hold up in my memory as much. So I don't know if that's a very professional criticism. I don't know if uh, that adds much value. But, uh, you know, I'm just giving my honest opinion here. So I'm, I'm interested in what what you all think. If if anybody out there has read Godzilla Cataclysm and has uh, a differing opinion, the same opinion, wants to share, please, please, I, I encourage you to write in Directive at yahoo.com and, and share your thoughts, because I'd, I'd love to hear them. Because, I, like I said, I, I did enjoy this series, but I'm, you know, I'm going to put it back in the bags and boards, put it back in the long box, and I'm not going to think about it again for a long time. So uh, do with that information what you will. All right, well, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with some more Godzilla comics here on Earth Destruction Directive. Eons past, A monstrous hybrid of land and marine reptiles was sealed into a state of suspended animation, slumbering through the fall of dinosaurs and the rise of man. But awakened by an undersea nuclear test, the creature returned to life, now breathing the fires of radiation. Stan Lee presents Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Okay, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Marvel Comics Group Godzilla number seven was cover dated February 1978 and released on or about November 19, November 1st, 1977, excuse me. And, uh, this information, of course, comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics at DCindexes.com. The cover features Godzilla smashing apart a missile silo and roaring his defiance as it, behind him flies into view the super robot Red Ronin, who's grimacing with his, uh, you know, the, the terrible task before him. Uh, and um, we've got the, you know, introducing the mechanized monster fighter, look out Godzilla, here comes Red Ronin. Very good cover. I like this cover a lot. Um Really cool uh, action sequence on the cover. Some great use of color. We've got a splash of pink where the missile is exploding. We've got, uh, orange fire coming up from this, the, um, the installation. We've got yellow smoke pouring out of it. We've got a yellow energy sword with some Kirby crackle inside of it on, uh, on Red Ronin. It's a really good cover here. De- definitely one of my favorites so far in the series. Uh, the, our writer was Doug Mensch, our penciler Herb Trimpey, Inker Fred Keda, letterer is Glenn Simack, colorist is Janice Cohen, our editor is Archie Goodwin, and the title is Birth of a Warrior. And our synopsis today comes from Marvel Wikia at marvel.wikia.com. As Godzilla rampages, the situation becomes more serious when Gabe Jones informs Dum Dum Duggan that the monster is slowly moving towards the base nuclear missile stockpile. Meanwhile, in Detroit, Jimmy Woo is upset for jumping the gun and trying to start a romance with Tamara when she rushes in to tell him that she hasn't seen Robert Takaguchi all day. At that moment, the Red Ronin Robot comes to life and starts walking towards a fuel tank. Jimmy has himself lifted up to the robot's head and finds the unconscious Robert inside and move and uh, flip switches and pushes buttons on the control panel and eventually causing the rampaging robot to stop just before it stops the fuel tank. When a call comes in for them to use the Red Ronin, Jimmy finds that he cannot pilot the device as it is unresponsive to his mental commands. When Robert awakens, he sneaks aboard the robot while technicians work on the device. Finding that it responds to his mental commands just fine, He commands it to fly him to Godzilla, where it arrives just as the monster reaches a nuclear missile stockpile, and is the only thing standing in his way. Next issue, the Battle of the Ages when two raging titans clash on a field laden with potential holocaust in Godzilla versus the Red Ronin. Wow, a lot of hyperbole for this issue, and I was pretty hyped up for it. What do you think? Did it live up to the uh did it live up to the um to the hype, I guess we'll find out. Let's get right into it. As I said, the cover is very action-packed uh, with Godzilla destroying the missile. I, I really like it. It I, it may actually be one of my one of my maybe my one or two uh favorite from the issue from the issues we've covered so far. It's just really good. And um, you know, it it's it it's what you'd expect for a Godzilla Marvel comic. It'd be fighting a giant robot. So can't argue with that. Um page one. Godzilla unleashes his atomic breath on the facility. There's lots of red use here in the color. Um we don't have, Janice Cohen does a um you know uh, we we talked about Carl Gafford a lot on Shogun Warriors. I think she does a good job here too with the red because it's all a red, basically a red background and you see the orange and yellow flame spurting that uh, the way they color his atomic breath. Um it really sells the heat of the uh of of the situation. You know the and after the cliffhanger last time with him being loose and all that this this really shows the it it, it builds on that cliffhanger and picks it up very nicely. Godzilla Godzilla's really rampaging through this facility, so I think it's a very good opening splash page. Turning over now to page two, panel four. Uh, it's a cool panel because we got the missiles in the extreme foreground with a giant Godzilla looming in the background, and then the tanks. You see the uh, armor rolling towards him and rolling towards the rest of the facility, which is also on fire. Uh, very cinematic style panel. I could definitely see this in a film, you know, where you're shooting, um, you know, up above the missiles shooting, uh, through them, so to speak. And then looking at the big monster coming down, probably he'd be inserted optically. I would imagine into that, or else maybe you're shooting a whole miniature set, but really a cool scene. And I, and I do like this panel very much, very, as I said, very cinematic. Uh, turning over now to page seven, panel one. This is a panel that is the height of the page and about two-thirds the width. And it shows us just how big Red Ronin is as he, uh, crushes all in his path. And we see the people, um, you know, we see Tamara and, jo- and uh, Jimmy Woo, and we see some of the technicians running as he, uh, as he stomps forward very matter-of-factly, uh, you know, his fists clenched at his side, the other one holding his shield forward. And, uh, it's, 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 um, You know, it's a great sense of scale, which, as I've said, is kind of Herb Trimpy's specialty. It very much reminds me of a classic super robot-style show, which I'm guessing is it's intentional, where the intense power of the robot himself is often a plot point. And we get that very much here, where he just looks implacable. You know, there's it doesn't look like there's anything you could do to negotiate with Red Ronin, and there isn't because he's a machine. So he's just going to stomp his way forward. So, very cool... um, cool sort of panel here, and a real nice bit of automatopia as we get cranch as he's stomping on something, and cranch to me sounds like it should be like a chip, it's like a crispy ranch flavored chip, you know, it's it's crispy, it's ranch, you know, it's cranch. Page 10, panel 1, we get to see a Stark security craft, which is actually a really cool little one-off mecha here that Trimpy has designed, because it look it's kind of like a little jet, it looks a little bit like the Cobra Firebat, Except that the, uh, the, uh, the wings, uh, wingtips point down instead of up. But then on top of it, it's got a helicopter blade. So it's like a VTOL. It's a very nice little design here for a, a simple security mech, but I do like it. I don't know if we, th- I don't remember ever seeing this elsewhere, like in an Iron Man issue or something, but it's pretty neat. And it's got these long, like, la- like, uh, riggings on the bottom so it can land, do vertical takeoff and landing. Very nice. But the only thing I don't like, and again, speaking like a Cobra vehicle, open cockpit. So, so if you get shot at, uh, I guess you're out of luck. Um, uh, page 11, panels 1 through 4, is, um, is, we see Red Ronin's foot slowly, slowly, slowly coming down, uh, towards the pressurized fuel tanks. And, um, you know, it, and he just hit some rigging on the top on the third one, says, Preck. Um, so as, as he slowly comes to a halt right before he crushes the, the tanks. Uh, this sort of scene, Kind of reminds me of something you can see in a modern book, where it's the same panel repeated over and over with little changes. Um, it's it's uh, although there there is some subtlety here. It's not just you know sometimes you get the feeling that the artists nowadays will literally just copy paste in Photoshop and add new word balloons here. It's a little subtle because the shadow keeps changing on the tanks as Red Ronin's foot gets closer and closer, and you can see it on the ground as well. His shadow looms larger and larger. So uh, all I have to say is that whatever punishment gets doled out to rob, he deserves it, and more. Because Jesus Christ, I mean, come on, man. You're going to sneak into this giant robot and destroy a facility? For, for what? Because you think that the army's going to kill Godzilla? It's like, this is the real world, man. I recognize it's not actually the real world. But this is reality, man. You can't do that kind of stuff. Seriously, give me a break. Turning over now to page 15, we see Godzilla engaging with the behemoth. And this is a cool sequence where Dum-Dum and uh, Howards are trying to, uh, you know, fight against Godzilla with the... uh with with the behemoth. And what I like about this is though even though Behemoth was designed to fight Godzilla and did capture him previously, he can still knock it around. There's, there's a panel here at the bottom where he rakes into it with his two claws and sends you see the next reaction is it sends um Dum Dum and Howard's flying. And uh Howard says, "Oh, sorry, sir, didn't realize Godzilla had such a reach." A machine can really only be so powerful compared to a monster, you know, especially a uh, a flying battleship like this rather than, you know, a mecha ro- mecha machine robot like um, like Red Ronin or Mecha Godzilla or something like that. Also, I have to give credit, Howard's still smoking his pipe. Well, uh, you know, just because he's got a good pipe going on, just, you know, I'm not going to interrupt that just because Godzilla's loose. No, sir. I've got my pipe and I'm good. Uh turning over now to page 17, panel 1, uh where we the reader, we're looking at Godzilla from behind. As he stares down the behemoth. This is a, another absolute great shot that could be from a film. We see Godzilla's tail. We can see the motion lines that it's whipping around. He's got the, uh, you know, we see his spines running up his back. The facility is completely engulfed in flames with black smoke boring off of it. You see behemoth is coming up in like a broadside position at him as he's, uh, you can see Godzilla kind of roaring his defiance. Uh, this reminds me a lot of the scenes of Godzilla facing down the Super X in Return of Godzilla, a.k.a. Godzilla 1985, you know, which was kind of the first time we really saw Godzilla fight uh, a mecha like this on the big screen, and we see here it is all the way back, you know, all like eight years earlier that we're seeing something very similar. So I thought that was a neat touch, and it's funny the things you see like that sometimes where it kind of foreshadows things that haven't happened yet and that they had no way of knowing they were foreshadowing it, so I think it's very cool. And then later on that same page... Uh, panel three: The behemoth gets absolutely blasted with atomic breath, and um, and and uh, you know they say that all that you know that Howard's was able to get the uh, the the thermal shielding switch on in time, and the, all and a lot of good this helicarrier is doing. Most we're doing is slowing Godzilla down a bit, but sooner or later time's going to run out, and that lizard's going to tromp those nukes. So let's hope Doctor Tax Gizmo is on the way, and of course he's referring uh, to the Red Ronin. So, but a cool fight, and, and I do like this. It's, it's a bit of a holding action by, um, Dum Dum and Howards and the Behemoth is to try and keep Godzilla at bay. I think they've realized that toe to toe, they're not going to be able to stop him like this in the open. But if they can hold him long enough, maybe Red Ronin can ha- can come and help. So, uh, turning over now to page 23. As we see, Red Ronin immediately Uh, start to take off once Rob sits in the cockpit and it's like friggin' Rob Jesus! Come on, man! (sighs) I don't know why this kid wasn't locked up. He should have been put in the brig, if nothing else. I don't care if he is a kid. I mean, seriously. What the hell, man? (sighs) That just ticked me off. I'm sorry. Turning over then to page 26, panel 3, as Rob pilots the Red Ronin, he crashes through a mountaintop with a very simple crew as he sends it uh, you know boulders and rocks flying in all directions um again showing off the insane power of the super robot this is another kind of super robot anime trope so I'm glad to see it make the uh, uh make the cut here uh, I don't like rob with the stupid grin on his face in panel four you just stole a giant robot to go fight godzilla I know you're probably gonna save the day but whatever happens to you you deserve it and I'm just putting that out there that's just my opinion so over on uh, page 27, panel 2, we get a reverse of kind of the normal scale shot where we're looking, we're above Behemoth looking down as Godzilla is still marching towards the missiles. And so Behemoth is very large in the panel and Godzilla is very small. Uh, and you see the missiles as well as Godzilla is unloading atomic breath just in, you know, heading towards them. You can see he's getting very close to them now. A very cool shot. And again, playing with the scale and the size of everything that's involved by instead of showing us uh, something human size to be very small, or showing us something giant size to be very small to give the, the illusion of very large amounts of space. So, very cool panel. And finally, turning over to pages 30 and 31, the double-page splash that ends the, uh, ends the issue. Double-page splash, very appropriate for a showdown of this size. Monsters and Robots right up Trimpy's alley, and this looks great as we see Red Ronin landing among the missiles, staring uh, defiantly up at Godzilla, who roars right back at him. Godzilla is a good deal taller than Red Ronin, which I wonder if that will come into play next issue. Very eager to learn about that, but uh, yeah, the showdown, it's on. It's absolutely right on right now, so um overall, overall, I did like the issue, but it was a bit of a letdown because I was hoping for the throwdown between Godzilla and Red Ronin. And what we got instead was kind of an extended introduction to Red Ronin and more of friggin' Rob Takaguchi, who I could, I, he could disappear and I would not, I would not miss him one bit at this point. The Godzilla stuff with Godzilla fighting Behemoth and, again, S.H.I.E.L.D., that was actually really nice, but again, Godzilla takes a backseat here. And I don't like when Godzilla takes a backseat in a book titled Godzilla. That's just a personal, uh, personal pet peeve of mine. Uh, Trimpy's art is, is very strong, he does some great stuff here, as I said, some great really cinematic looking shots with the monster interacting with the Behemoth and, you know, the Red Ronin and all that, it looks really cool. And even giving my criticisms of the issue, I'm very amped up for the fight next issue, and I did like the issue, I was just a little let down by because I was expecting a big fight, so. Um, as always, this is collected in The Essential Godzilla. So uh, you can read it there if you don't have the original. Now, uh, let's just take a quick look here at ads and see what we've got. Um, a lot of these ads are kind of the same ones we've seen before. Uh, Super Sea Monkeys. Simon & Schuster presents the complete marvelous collection. Uh, the newest one on here is the Superhero Women by Stan Lee. I love that you can tell this is the 70s because... Uh, Red Sonya is front and center there, which I think is great. Although, hey, there's Carol Danvers. So sometimes the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know. Uh, Let's see here. Um, We got the Slim Jim Werewolf ad. Um, Oh, we got a house ad. Brand new from Pocket Books. Two special collections of the first stories, first six stories, numbers one through six, of the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man in full color. Full color, even only a dollar ninety-five, and they've got, uh, wow, they got the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. Plus they've got the crosswords, and um, this is the superhero shop. That's who's doing this advertisement. They've got some Migos, they've got um, uh, super stamps, some cool stuff here. I have one of the old Marvel pocketbooks. I have the Daredevil one. Which is in black and white. Uh, I don't think this is from the same thing. Actually, this is one of the earliest Daredevil comics I've ever read, came from, uh, from that, uh, that pocketbook, which was pretty interesting. Um, let's see, someone, I uh, uh, we've got the, uh, uh, Pizzazz ad, the, uh, the Clark Bars ad with all those candies that I've never eaten, got the Hodgepodge ad, and... Like I said, nothing too exciting here. Uh, we do get Thor in the Dingeling family, which we've done previously, so I I don't I will not subject you to another <laughs> another reading of that. Uh, Marvel bullpen bulletins. We do have an advertisement here for Devil Dinosaur. So if there was ever a book that you should advertise Devil Dinosaur in, they got a little box with Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy here. It would be um, Godzilla. They're talking about uh, Jack Kirby's two new titles, Machine Man, and then the other, of course, being, uh, Devil Dinosaur. I will cover Devil Dinosaur here eventually. I have the hardcover Omnibus, uh, maybe the best hardcover I've ever bought, uh, just saying. So, uh, not, you know, not, not to bury the lead in that, but I love Devil Dinosaur ever since I was a kid. I picked up, I think, issue two at a, I don't know, kind of an antique shop sort of place, junk shop in, um, Train Country, Pennsylvania, while on a vacation there with my family. And I loved it. I read that thing till it fell apart. And so I was so glad to get that, uh, get that hardcover. But, uh, yeah, that's about it for ads. Like I said, nothing much on ads this time. Kind of the same stuff as we've seen. Nothing all that interesting, but a good issue. I was hoping for a fight. You know, Rob Tagaguchi pisses me off, but, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. But overall, I enjoyed it and very much looking forward to what happens next time when we finally finally we'll get the fight between red ronin and godzilla so what did you guys think any of you folks out there read this one want to send some feedback in earth destruction directive at yahoo.com just let me know what you think all right i'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to finish up the show here on earth destruction directive 30 years ago i walked into a comic store and i picked up gi joe and the transformers number one A month later I came back. They say every journey has a first step. Every story has a beginning. This is mine. I may have begun my comics collecting career in earnest in 1990, but from the fall of 1986 until the fall of 1987, I was a regular at my LCS. So in honor of 30 years of collecting comics, I'll be recapping and reviewing all of them on the days they originally came out. So join me, Tom Panneris, for Origin Story, a podcast miniseries starting this September at popcultureaffidavit.com and 2TrueFreaks.com Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Eddie. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Other robots just can't deny that when the queen of space walks in and puts a blast from your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. All right, we are back on Earth Destruction Directive. And here I have in my hands... Some emails from you lovely listeners, and if you would like to email the show, uh, you can get in touch with me via the email address earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. In addition, I have some other ways to get in touch with me that'll all be in the outro to the show, so give that a listen if you want to send in some feedback. Our first email comes from Gene Hendricks and is entitled Musical Stylings, and Gene writes Luke. I loved the latest episode, as I always do, about Ultraman. Unfortunately, I'm still way behind in my viewing of this series. So to comment on, however, is the Beach Boys segment in the listener feedback section. After hearing you sing that and mention the great Paul Williams, what popped in my head was, Someday we'll find it. The Kaiju Connection. If I was talented enough, I'd do the whole song with Kaiju lyrics, but sadly, I'm not that creative. So I'll just leave you with that little earworm signed. Gene. Uh, host of the Hammer Strikes Pod, the Hammer Strikes Blog, the Hammer Strikes Podcast, Quantum Cast, co-host of Anime Freaks, all around general good guy. Um, the best I came up with. Was, uh, you know, to, to build off of what you did was, Someday we'll find it, the kaiju connection, the monsters, the mecha, and me. Uh, I have not gone through and written whole, uh, whole lyrics yet. Maybe I'll kick that over to Dr. Bill Robinson. He, he's real good at that. He's real good at that. Yes. And as I said on the Frogs episode, you know, I'm really good at ruining Paul Williams' greatest hits, and I, and I love Paul Williams' music so much that I do an awful job of singing it, but uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the Ultraman episode and the, um, and the musical stylings as well. Uh, that was, uh, you know, that was the same episode that had the, sh- the theme song from Shag in it, as well as, um, uh, you know, uh, f- the Danny Elfman, uh, what, Frog with a Face or Froggy Face or whatever the one is from Music for Dark and Theater. So there was some interesting music on that one uh, just because of the stuff with uh, Gama Kujira, uh, Pearls Before, Whale Frogs and all that. So thank you very much for listening uh, and writing in, Gene. And I advise everyone to please check out Gene's shows, which can be found at the 2 True Freaks uh network um hammer podcast, quantum cast, and anime freaks. I may be guest star. I got an upcoming episode of Anime Freaks. Uh we we did record one a while back, just waiting for it to actually drop, and we'll be talking about a classic. I'm not gonna gonna spoil what it is, but very much looking forward to that. And uh, go check out Gene's stuff. Gene's a, a great guy and a and a hell of a good podcaster as well. Our next email is from John Kilgallen and is entitled Feedback on Episode 47. And uh, John writes, uh, first, let me state that I, too, was reading Marvel's Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. Manphibian was the go-to creature for me. And let me just step out of the email. I'm, You know, I, I, I was sad to see that book go, but I was not surprised. Marvel has canceled so many titles that I was reading uh, on or before 12 issues over the last, um, like, five or six years. I've, like, lost count of how many there were. And you know, books that I just don't understand just keep going, and books that I really enjoy that are maybe are more oddball, maybe a little off the wall, maybe a little obscure. Just get canned. Don't fight an audience. It's it's disheartening. I mean, at this point, I am reading exactly one Marvel book, and that's Power Man and Iron Fist, and and it, it's Power Man and Iron Fist. You know, and it's excellent. I'm going to read it, but I'm I'm really concerned. I'm concerned it's going to make it to 12 issues and get canned. Um, you know, Marvel, and Howl's Command as a Shield didn't even make it that far. And that was just a really fun book, and it really delved into, you know, it was a shield book, but it also was a monster book. Oh, it's good stuff. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about it at some point, John, in a, in a future, uh, future segment. Anyway, getting back into, uh, John Zimley, He says, Luke, I truly love your breakdown of the Ultraman episodes, and I thank you for their return in this episode. Gamma Kujira reminded me more of a walking blowfish, But I remember Pestar very well from my childhood days in Charleston, South Carolina, low country, represent. Rushing in after school to watch on the color TV set in the living room before Dad would get home from work. The color TV was his, after all. As a kid, it was all about the ships and weapons and monsters of the day fight. From the transformation to the color timer signaling the near death of Ultraman, I was held in rapture. That's awesome. Do you remember what station you used to watch it on, on Charleston? I, I, you know, I'm always interested in stuff like that because being from New York, I just assume that any sci-fi show or anything that was syndicated like that would be on channel late 90s. So I, you know, obviously this stuff wasn't syndicated then. So uh, send me an email or send me a message or something. What, You know, let me know what station you used to watch it on, when it came on, all that. I'd, I'd love to hear that. That's a great story. And I understand too about the TV because we used to have, my brother and I each had small black and white TVs in our room and eventually... We did get little, small cable-ready TVs in our room. Little ones, like thirteen-inch jobs. They looked pretty big when you were a little kid, but yeah, we um, you know you'd watch uh, you'd watch some stuff in the afternoon, but you know when God when Dad got home, that TV went off, (laughs) unless it was Muppets night, then you got to stay up and watch the Muppets, you know. Uh, John continues as an adult enthusiast, A.K.A. Monster Kid. I still enjoy DVD marathons on holiday weekends when Godzilla is not taking up screen time. As a kid, I never wondered about the action. As an adult, I'm amazed at the dramatic build-up to near death when Ultraman could just hit the monster with his Specium Ray from the get-go. Yeah, that—that's one of those. You know, it's the same thing. Like in a in a um, a Super Sentai show, it's like, why don't they just use the giant, the finisher first? Use to have the sword come down and slash the monster first instead of fighting with him for for three minutes. And you know, it, it, it's it's one of those logistical things. It, it works because it works because that's the the way that the genre is built, and that's the way that the the fan, the kids especially want to see it. You want to see Ultraman wrestle with the monster and fight with the monster and then ultimately Specium beam him at the end or, you know, slice him in half like you did Balton that one time or, or whatever it is. So yeah, I, I agree with you. It does it's one of those things that makes you question the formula, but sometimes the formula works. And I've always thought that the use of the color timer was brilliant. I've said this on the show before, because it, it puts an artificial limit on how long your effects segment has to be. You know, the the fight was always the most technically complicated aspect of any episode of Ultraman, and now you've limited it. So okay, well most it can be about three minutes. We don't we, we're we don't have to worry about a screenwriter deciding oh he wants to write an episode long fight. Now we do have ones where monsters fight for most you know uh, the whole most of the episode. The Aboris and Barilla episode springs to mind immediately because those two guys beat the living hell out of each other pretty much for the whole episode, and then Ultraman comes in and mops up at the end. But, you know, I, like I said, it, it's... uh I, I remember way back in Hallowed Antiquity, back in the 90s, while reading in a article about uh, Kikaida in the old fanzine, the Kaiju Review, which I contributed um, really one article to, but I was a loyal reader of back in the day, that it was talking about Kikaida, and it was talking about the, you know, that... Um, They would, they would play the tune and that he'd have to make a loud sound so he couldn't hear the tune, uh, from Dr. Jiro so that he could transform. And they said, yeah, it's a gimmick, but so is Kryptonite. So it's like, yeah, you know, it is a gimmick, but I'm willing to accept it because, you know, it's genre and sometimes you have gimmicks. Uh, John continues reading along with Marvel's Godzilla is also a pleasure. I'm using my copy of the Essential Godzilla, but I had the issues as a kid. Another monthly title I would pay my allowance for at the book bag bookstore then pedal my butt furiously home to read and marvel pun intended i remember getting comics at the 7-eleven in danbury connecticut uh between the players club which was the gym that my dad uh, worked out at and the danbury fair mall there was a a 7-eleven there I i think it's still there and uh you know we'd stop in there my mom would stop us in or whatever and i'd get comics off the spinner rack that was my earliest memory memory of that uh, John says, love the podcast and all things die kaiju. Keep up the great work. Now I have to listen to that other new podcast. What is it? Oh yeah, bots, bugs, and babes. Signed, John Kilgallen. Well, John, I hope you do check out bots, bugs, and babes. As I'm recording this, my brother and my dad actually just dropped, uh, an episode covering, um, the crawling eye. And, uh, I like the crawling eye, aka the Trollenberg terror. Really good, solid British science fiction movie. Saddled with a, uh, you know, a very, Kind of schlocky, but still awesome. U.S. name, so it's one of those ones that that works really well. Plus, also a great song by the Misfits is uh, "The Crawling Eye," which was off of uh, uh well, uh, famous monsters, I think, was the album that that was off of one of the later day albums. But uh, you know, uh, still a good song. The the chorus is great as it is, is the Misfits song. You know? At this altitude, it's freezing. Aliens control human beings. No one has lived to tell who's seen the crawling eye. At this altitude of freezing, aliens control human beings. No one has lived to tell who's seen the crawling eye. Yeah, I understand. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, uh, again, not a punk singer either, but you know, I know what I like. So, John, thank you very much for writing in. And, uh, I hope you keep listening. I hope you keep enjoying the show. Alright, now it comes to the time when everybody asks, well, what is next? What, what can you possibly cover next after, after, uh, you know, what you've done in this episode? Each one, each episode, a little gem unto itself. How can you possibly hope to top it? Well, uh, our attempt next time will be, we'll be jumping back into the Godzilla series with the film series proper. We're gonna be jumping into the Heisei era. And the next Heisei era in line is Godzilla versus Space Godzilla from 1994. Uh, I'm a fan of this. I'm a big fan of Space Godzilla as a monster. I recognize that this movie has a lot of flaws, so I'm going to really try and watch it critically and not watch it as a fan and really give it a fair shake. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, I'll have to break out my Space Godzilla and Mogra trendmaster toys with me probably because, man, those are cool and I I really dug those as a kid, and I still got all my trendmaster toys on display now. I uh, will also be covering the next issue of Marvel Comics Godzilla, which is Godzilla number 8, and should feature the, uh, the finally, the, the clash between Godzilla and Red Ronin, and uh, hopefully Godzilla doesn't blow all the, uh, uh, you know, the, that missile base and all the nukes sky high. That would be an interesting turn. I don't think it's going to happen, but I guess we'll find out, because I have not read ahead. I, I wait until uh, I'm doing show prep in order to, uh, to read the issue, so I don't get too far ahead and have too much future knowledge but uh that's what we've got planned any news any uh feedback anything that comes up anything interesting breaking we'll have it here and um that's about all i've got i want to thank everybody for listening and until next time keep them stomping All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at two twotruefreaks.com.